Welcome to Breitbart News Daily. Thanks for being here. Oh my goodness, the show today, the show today. We talked with Spencer Clavin, author of How to Save the West, Ancient Wisdom for Five Modern Crises. Uh, also, his podcast is The Young Heretics. It's always wonderful to watch, talk to Spencer. Um, we talked to him because he is like way more articulate with me, uh, certainly about this issue of Neuralink and virtual reality. And I wanted to bring him in first to set the table of of what what this social media conversation is really all about and how we should be viewing it and how we should be protecting our kids, not just because they're little people, but because they're souls and what that means. What is a soul? And just how this is all ancient stuff. There's nothing new under the sun. So set the table with that. Uh, we want to play for you here, though, our, the segment after that, where we talk a little more about the hearing. We didn't play any clips from the hearing. I had clips from the hearing to play. They're kind of long. It's just senators yelling. So I don't really know how important they are. I'd rather talk. Uh, about you and, and, and hear from you. So we took a bunch of phone calls here as well. So the question is, who do we blame for the evils of social media? And uh, what do we do about it? And what do you as a parent do about it? Here it is. about this this hearing yesterday we talked to senator marshall blackburn yesterday to preview the hearing and and there was this uh, like four hour long senate hearing at the judiciary committee and you know these you know my thoughts on these hearings it's all just like performance art just yelling at the tech ceos and never even giving them a chance to answer yes or no yes or no and, and you, like they ask a really complicated big question it's like yes or no ah! and usually i just hate this whole thing but it didn't really bother me yesterday because I don't care much for <laughs> for these CEOs, but here's my question. Here's how it affects us. How much of the abuses that are on social media, the terrible things that occur on social media, how much of that is the fault of the social media companies? How much of that is Zuckerberg's fault? And how much of that is the responsibility of parents? I think there's three players involved here. The people who started these social media companies, I think they started it just thinking it'd be a neat thing. Like Zuckerberg started Facebook in college and he's like, oh, we'll connect everyone on college and we'll find out who's dating who. And then we'll connect it with a couple other colleges and, and it just kind of took on its own thing, right? And I think a lot of parents were very trusting when it first came out because I don't know, it's a new thing. Well, I, I guess people weren't cynical enough, right? So like, yeah, what could be bad about all the social media? And I feel bad for just the timing of that all. But that was then, and now there's no excuse. But is it Zuckerberg's fault that girls feel awful about themselves when they're on Instagram? Or is it the parents' fault for letting their kids continue to be on Instagram? And as much as, it, as, much as I just despise these, these tech CEOs, uh, I lean towards parents. Like, like yes, it's true that 100,000 girls are sent pictures of male genitalia every day on Instagram. That was in 2021, so I'm sure it's worse now. And yes, you can blame Facebook for not having an AI algorithm to filter that out and not have proper protections and whatever. I, I, I'm totally with you, but maybe... 
we should stop letting 13-year-old girls have a thing that gives them direct access to pedophiles and perverts. All right, flip it around. Maybe we should stop giving the 13-year-old girl the thing that gives pedophiles and perverts a direct access to her. So there's no question that Facebook and Instagram and all these guys, they know that this stuff is going on. They know that it's sexually explicit. They know it's a dangerous place. They know it's a smutty porn store right in their kid's pocket. They know it. So the New Mexico Attorney General issued a big report, and in it, he found all this internal metadata. Right? It's like meta knows all this stuff. And there was a story of an Apple executive whose 12-year-old was solicited by a pedophile on the app an Apple executive. So the Apple executive goes to the, the, the meta executives and Meta's now all freaked out that Apple may take Facebook off of the app store because of what's going on. It's like they know that this was real. Now, you're not an Apple executive. So when this happens to your kid, you don't get to go, right? You're not that connected. And Meta can come out with their lawyers of, oh, we're industry leading standards. That's what Zach kept saying over and over. Oh, we have industry leading standards. Like, well, the industry stinks. And being in the lead of this is not is not like like impressive. And Meta was talking about how they want Facebook to be the primary social media app uh, or messaging app for all kids, and they started targeting as young as six, <laughs> six, six years old. What? So it's like, wow, you guys are evil. But who's letting their six year old have a phone and a Facebook account? So I, I go, like, I get it. Like, like Facebook, like, these people are bad, but what are we doing? And listen, no shame, okay? Let's, like, let's let, let's let bygones be bygones. I totally see. Listen, I, I, my kids are young, so I've missed this. All right, I've missed this. So there's no judgment here. I probably would have done the same. But now we need to reevaluate it all because there's no excuses anymore. Now we know what it is. And it may be hard to detox children, just like it's hard for anyone to detox. But it has to be done. And listen, these are for me to say, right? I know. I know, I know, I know. Let's go to Brian, who's in New York. What's going on, Brian? How are you? Hey, Mike. Um, okay, so so here's, here's the problem with the, when you do keep your kid off of it is so they get bullied online, right? What happens, though, is the kids that where the parents see what's going on and don't give them the devices, those kids get bullied offline. And they get bullied. There are conversations happening about the kids who don't have the devices, who aren't on the apps, about them on the apps. So you're, you're like damned if you do or you're damned if you don't because you can have your kid online getting bullied, but then if you try to protect them from it, they get bullied because you didn't let them on there. Yeah. It, it's really a mess, and, and and what this all comes down to is the adults need to start being adults. The problem is everyone's got a blind spot for their own shortcomings, and the adults in this country don't realize that they're addicted to this. Mm-hmm. So they don't even think, oh, it's a problem for the kids because they're doing it themselves and, and don't even realize it. And you know where it's really killing us is you can't have an intelligent conversation with probably half this country right now because they can't listen to everything I just said from start to finish and actually focus on it all because they've got this stupid thing in their hand where they're conditioned. Well, I can, I can go about 30 seconds and then I got to go on to the next thing. So it's making us dumber. We're addicted to it and then giving it to our kids. Yes. Do you have any, do you have any young ones? 
Sorry? Do you have any kids? Uh, yeah. What, I, have what, a, I have an 11-year-old that I don't I, – he doesn't he's, – he's got I, – I, we fight with him with this Nintendo Switch thing, and it's just a video game, but they all talk to each other on it. And then they start fighting with each other, and then they start yelling at it, and then take it away. Take it, take an electronic device away from a child and watch the reaction. Yeah. It's That's all you addiction. need to know. That's all you need to know. It's 100% addiction. I used to be addicted yeah. to video games. It's 100% addiction. There's no question about it. You, there's no well, kid playing a, a video how, game. How, Mike, how old are you? 30, I said a birth, 38 or something. Maybe 39. <laughs> I forget. 1984. Right, 45. All right. When, when you and I grew up playing yes. Mario Brothers and Tetris, we, we were just playing that. Like there wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot of online stuff where you were actually interacting with anybody other than your buddy sitting next to you. That's right. When you shut it off, it went away. You didn't shut it off and then have everybody that you were just playing with having a conversation about you now that you shut it off. Like, like it's, it's so toxic. But again, go to a restaurant and watch everybody, all the adults sitting around a table and not one person is interacting with each other unless they're showing each other something that's on their phone. This is not normal behavior, but the adults don't realize it. So how do we expect the kids to? I know. That's it, Brian. Appreciate it, man. Well done. Yeah, that's why I think there's a role for schools to ban the phones in in school, but they can only do so much. I really think it's it's parent groups need to join forces and have, like, all the kids. It needs to be, like, everyone. You know what I mean? We're all doing this together um, is the only way out. Uh, We go to Jack. He's in New Jersey. What's going on, Jack? Hey, you know, I, I, I got to echo almost everything the previous caller said. I'm a, I'm a father of a 15-year-old, and I'm a big believer in minimal government. But yeah. we were like frogs slowly boiled in water here, and we didn't even realize what happened with this technology. I'm convinced of that. It is pure addiction. I can tell you a little bit about my son. During COVID, they went pure online, you know, mm-hmm. using Chromebooks, whatever it may be. They got addicted. My son never had a phone until he was about 14, uh, about 13, I'm sorry. No, no phone, no devices, regulating it. And now the school he goes to, a great private Catholic high school, they have I, I, iMacs and iPads, MacBooks and iPads. And everything is electronic. Everything has to be monitored. He's on the phone. Your, your previous caller nailed it. These kids are in these social networks. It's 100% addictive. I hate to say this. Just like alcohol is regulated, just like now marijuana is regulated. I have a disagreement on that one. Just like a driver's license, you got to be 16 or 17, 21. We have to do something with the kids because the parents can't do it. I know you're saying this. I'm a firm believer in parental responsibility, but this has gone out of control. They know it's addictive. They know they've addicted all of us. But here's the scary thing. The neural pathways of these children are being wired to be addicts of like no generation before. And I am petrified of what we're creating in this country. And then you look at China. I'll stop in a second. And in China, these kids that are on TikTok are all educational. With us, it's a bunch of morons are listening to all day long, moronic, and then self-fulfilling stuff. So you're not even broadening horizons. They're narrowing and narrowing it with the kid likes, hitting the endorphins, the brains. It's a drug. And we have to come to a conclusion as a country, like, we have to protect our children. And it's not up to individual parents because you're the last caller called it. If you're not online, you're bullied. If you're online, you're bullied. If everyone's offline and it's regulated, I hate to say that, 
we might have a chance at this because we have a lost generation here, I fear. Mm, Jack, I 100% agree with everything you said, 100%. I, and I so appreciate your instinct to not even say the word regulate. Like, like that is such a good desire. That's such a good starting point is to not. But then you think about it, right? And then you bring in, uh, well, it's, it's, a, it's an addictive drug that we're giving to our children and destroying their lives <laughs> and their souls. So it's like, oh, you know what? Maybe we can talk about that as a, as a culture and as a community of people. And we can figure out if this is good or not. And, and I, think, I think we're near universal. I mean, as near as one can get, universal understanding that this is, this is not good for kids. Or adults, really. <laughs> but let's just focus on the kids for now. David is in Texas. What's going on, David? Hey, Mike. Uh, glad to be on the show. Uh, I work at a high school here, and our district just implemented a no cell phone during class policy. Nice. Why and, and how's it going? What was it before the ban and how's it been going? Well, yeah, it was uh, just uh, two weeks ago or, yeah, about three weeks ago. And believe it or not, uh, most of the kids have gotten used to it. And yeah. I think it's working very well. Uh, instead of kids just looking at their phone all class period, they're actually uh, more of them are paying attention to the instruction that's going on. However, if the last five minutes of class, when they can start packing up, uh, they all run to get their phone because they're worried that they've missed something. Yeah. Yeah. That's never been a thing. <laughs> that's never been a, a human it's, it's drive. Crazy like, that. That, like other callers saying, it is definitely an addiction. And I ask them, but you, what are you afraid you missed? I mean, did, did, did you miss something in the last uh, 45, 50 minutes? Uh, you know, what, what's the, the rush to grab it? And, yeah. But they're just so connected that it's all, about all they can do to be without it for, you know, 50 minutes or so. Mm, okay, it's a good start, though. David, I appreciate the call. Listen, it's a drug. There's a detox period. There's no, like, literally shaking. Like, if you take, like, wild mood swings and, like, shaking and, like, literally just like when you take away a drug from a drug addict. It's the same thing. On our, that caller and our previous caller's point about thinking deeply, it has absolutely uh, eroded or cor corroded our minds of thinking deeply. I was using yesterday, I was using this uh, dystopian story of the, with the Neuralink chip in our brain and how if, the, if, the, if you're connected to the internet and your brain, then the internet's connected to you and who controls the internet. And then we played this clip from one of the main futurists, I think his name is Brian Johnson, who says we need to wipe clean uh, all of your brain. So... They'll put the chip in your brain, wipe it clean. You have no memories, no connection with anything in the past. And I was continuing this dystopian world uh, that's not that. I mean, they're talking about it. Uh, not, I didn't make this up. And it's like, oh, well, they'll wipe clean Thomas Jefferson. Like, Thomas Jefferson won't be a thing. And, like, that sounds crazy and way far out. And you're like, okay, fine. But give a kid today some letter from Thomas Jefferson. First of all, they probably won't be able to read it because it's in cursive. But then even if it was transcribed into, into print, like their brains have been so rotted down that like they couldn't even understand what he's saying. Like read Thomas Paine's common sense. That was written for the commoner in 1776. It was written for like the farmer. And I, I, would, I would guess a, an, a high school AP honors English class would have trouble transcribing and understanding what Thomas Paine was talking about. Like, like reading 
a couple pages of it would be too much for the attention span of an honors student today. Like th this is not helping. And that's what I asked for with our intentionality. Like, how's it been going to go back to what Spencer said? Like, how, how's this all going? All right. We've given this a go. How are we doing? Welcome back to Breitbart News Daily. The great Dr. Sebastian Gorka. Dr. Gorka, how do you do, sir? Good morning, Mike. And to you. Uh, lots of questions for you. We're going to talk about Iran, this FBI testimony that got overshadowed yesterday. Uh, we have illegal immigrants kicking police officers in the head and getting released without bail in New York City. i got lots of questions for you. Um, but if you don't mind, I'd like to continue the conversation we were just having about the uh, big tech social media companies in front of the Senate yesterday. And yeah, we were. So the, I guess the big question is: how, how, Have you had have you had Spencer on yet? Uh, his dad's a good buddy of mine. How did Clavin do? Oh, Spencer's amazing. I love Spencer. I love Spencer because he talks. He reminds me that there's nothing new under the sun. This right. is a, these are ancient questions and ancient problems that have answers because <laughs> uh, they've been thought about by brilliant minds for thousands of years. These are just new, newly packaged ancient evils, uh, and we need to think about them in bigger terms than just does it glitter and is it nice looking? And uh, he always reminds me of those big questions. So, yeah, Spencer's great, uh, and so is Andrew, of course. Um, so the question is, like, how much of this, the, Ill, the ills and evils of social media do you blame on the social media companies? Like, do you blame on Zuckerberg versus how much of this is the responsibility of parents? Where do you lie on that? Uh, look, uh, th there was that documentary, what was it, before COVID, maybe four years ago, where they interviewed the founders, the people who built Facebook. And it's, you know, the answer to your question is yes and yes. I mean, it, mm -hmm. A, you have the these people unburdening themselves saying, we designed these platforms and these apps to program the users that the dopamine hit from the likes from the scroller from you know from from you know the the 30 second attention span they leveraged was built into the system that's why tiktok is the way it is that's why shorts are being introduced now you know, at, at a rate of knots uh, on on youtube and elsewhere so a the people who built it knew exactly what they were doing and then B, e even the people who are still in the system, I think you know, Bill Gates said this and, and, and others, people who are, you know, were big tech giants, they never allowed their children to have electronics. When the people from Silicon Valley don't allow their 10-year-old to have an iPad, let alone a, a, an iPhone, then what the hell are we doing mm -hmm. giving you know, all of this stuff to our children? Yeah. So both sides are culpable. What did you do? Your your kids they grew they were around with all the cell phone stuff and everything. What what were what were the Gorka they family? Were, they were, but kind of not quite yet. So yeah. you know, when we moved to America, what is it, uh, fifteen years ago? You know, the coolest thing was the Motorola flip phone, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it was it was a they were right on the cusp of it. But you know, really, you know, when you feel 
<laughs> when you feel small is when when your 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 college age daughter says to me, and she still does it now. She says, "Yeah, you know, I sent her something on social media that I think is funny, whatever it is, a cat video or whatever." And she says, "Sorry, Dad, I can't open it. I've got an app on my phone that only allows me to look at things." like that for uh, 60 minutes a day when your child unbeknownst to you is putting locks on their own devices to stop the brain dissolving mush and then when my <laughs> son says you know i'm an addict to this stuff i mean i i'm on my phone you know for 18 hours a day but it's, part of it is part of my excuse is you know i'm in the media and when i send stuff to my son that i find because he's a huge lord of the rings fan and he says Sorry, Dad, I can't open that because I got rid of all my social media apps. I don't have Instagram. I don't have it. When, you know, when, you, when your son says that, when your 25-year-old your son says that, then you realize, yeah, time to wise up, America. Yeah, that's, that's my, uh, my – one of my goals in life is to have, especially my daughter, go to school, and when all the cool kids have whatever, the Stanley Cup or whatever it is, for my daughter to not even – flinch not not even or, or in fact be repulsed by it or repelled is maybe a better word be repelled by what is cool i feel like that's uh a win but that's a big one <laughs> that's, a, that's hard to do but but, right? but you know I, I didn't have time to watch the the hearing yesterday but let, let's just be clear this stuff is utterly destructive i mean especially tiktok but all of them utterly completely destructive and, and i mean in the serious sense when it comes to you know children who've taken their lives because of what they've been subjected to on these platforms and the other thing in, in the broader civilizational sense uh, I, I you know i travel the country and i give speeches and wherever i am whoever i'm talking to whatever the topic is there are always you know younger people in the audience and, and young professionals and they always, you know, want to know what's your advice and how do you get into a career in politics or national security or whatever it is. And I tell them, look, I don't care if you want to be a, a neuroscientist or an astronaut or, or a politician, put the stinking phone down mm -hmm. and read a book. Nobody reads anymore. I mean, if, if we just focused on, on the way our civilization absorbs information today. It's like what you said about Spencer Clavin. Uh, if you want to really better yourself, you're not going to do it on your phone. If you want to better yourself, you put it down and you pick up a book, preferably one that was written by a dead white guy, preferably several hundred years ago. So, you know, let, let's go up to maybe Shakespeare. But anything, you know, Shakespeare and before, that, that's how you better your mind. And it's not with these thinking things that I'm talking into right now. Yeah, nothing is neutral is one of the lines he threw out there. And that, that's, that's my push is to be intentional. I just want us all to be intentional. And it's so easy to just go with yes, the flow. You know, and, you know what my prayer is? You know, when I, when I go to confession and when I, I'm at Mass on Sunday, it's a prayer I've been saying now for, oh, I don't know, 20 years. Uh, you know, Lord, help me to live a deliberate life, right? Just that, that you know, we're not... <clears throat> like a billiard ball bouncing off uh, the sensations and the information feeds that are curated to us, but that, that, that each man, each woman 
lives a life that they shape that is a deliberate life that's mm. that's that's my desire well more ancient wisdom so that we can no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and human cunning and craftiness and deceitful schemes Ephesians four fourteen. it's all there thousands of years ago let, 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 let me new. be clear here and, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be um, you know cynic or provocative for the sake of, of provocation there is no such thing as human progress and I have been convinced of that for 30 years now. This idea that everybody from Karl Marx to AOC is trying to pitch you is utter, complete horse crap, okay? Humankind has never progressed. If they had, there wouldn't have been, you know, death camps in Serbia just a few years ago. There wouldn't have been the, the, the Tutsi and the Hutu dismembering each other alive with machetes. There, there wouldn't be what we're seeing now on the southern border with 60% of the young girls and women being raped by the coyotes. The history of mankind is the history of a fallen man, and evil has always existed. The history of mankind is the history of conflict and war. So the idea that you can come up with something new, perfect man or perfect society, is garbage and has actually taken the lives of a hundred million people in just the 20th century alone so you know listen to spencer listen to his dad drew uh, you know the the truths of man are the same today as they were during the trojan wars nothing has changed the accoutrements the devices we hold in our hands the wrapping paper is all fluff and tinsel but the eternal truths and the eternal ver- verities about man are unchanging and will be until our Lord and Savior comes back. 100%. Absolutely perfection. Um, it's impressive how the futurists have repackaged <laughs> these ancient <laughs> lies, though. Um, we were talking yesterday about Neuralink and putting computer chips in your brain. I assume you are not going to put a computer chip in your brain, Dr. Gorgon. No, uh, I, I, I think it's the devil's work, honestly. I mean, God, God bless Elon Musk, but all of that stuff, it's just, just another version of, I, you know, God doesn't exist, I am God. Yes. That's all it is. Yes, 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 yes. And, um, and so we play this clip from Brian Johnson, who's one of the main trans, transhumanist futurists, whatever. And he said what we should do is put the computer chips in the brains and then wipe the programming clean. You wipe, you wipe your slates clean. So we, uh, there's no more, you have no more history behind you. Nothing. It's just a new year zero. That's all. It's just a new iteration of year zero, but they're able to do it with your brain <laughs> and relate, erase all your memories and your traditions and everything and truly start the slate clean, which is just tower of Babel. Like all this stuff is ancient stuff. Um, but let me, let me throw this your way. We talked all about that yesterday, but, um, so I was talking to a buddy of mine about this, and he thinks I overreact up against like everything. He thinks everything I overreact to. <laughs> and and uh, he heard me talk about Neuralink, and he's like, oh, Slater, what's the big deal? And Apple Vision Pro comes out tomorrow, virtual reality. It's like, oh, what's the big deal, Slater? Come on, you're overreacting. Uh, and then he sent me a tweet of someone tw- quoting the Dalai Lama, the purpose of our lives is to be happy. So his whole argument always is, if it wow. makes you happy, then it's good. What do you make of that? Wow. That man will die alone and uh, frightened and um, unfulfilled. I mean, really? Happiness? Really? Well, I mean, it depends upon what his definition, but if it's sensual gratitude, if it's the accumulation of physical wealth, I, 
that man will die sad, alone, and unhappy. I mean, the, 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 the greatest thing you can do, and this is, of course, the message of, of, of you know, the New Testament, is to serve and to serve others and to serve that which is outside yourself and ultimately to serve the ultimate truth. And truth comes from what? From our Creator. I mean, it was the great Christian, who was it? Was it Aquinas? Or was it Augustine? When, 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 you, when, you, when you try to kill God, you, live a, you leave a, a God-shaped uh, hole in the soul of mankind. I mean, that, that's, that's why environmentalism, that's why Greta, that's why, you know, the, the insanity of the, the secular people who think that they can create their own religion here on earth. But happiness? I mean, look at our founding fathers, what bloody geniuses. What did they put down as the essence of America? It's life and liberty. But that second half of that sentence, they didn't say life, liberty, and happiness. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's not happiness that makes you, you know, fulfilled in life. It is living in the image of your creator, working towards what? The ultimate happiness, which is truth. This is... You know, if you understand Hegel, you know, the, 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 there's only, if you want to talk about the progression of man, the only progression of man that means anything is progression to the ultimate truth, which is, which is knowledge of God. So I, I feel sorry for your friend, Mike. <laughs> yeah, I like him a lot, so it frustrates me. Uh, yeah, it frustrates does, me. Does he, ha does, he have, does he have children? Yeah, three. Well, that's Catholic. shocking. Yeah. Because if, if you if you have children, at, at some point pretty early on, it, it just comes to you in this this biologic, you know, gut punch that the only thing that matters is is the service of the other, and and making sure that your progeny connect to the transcendental truth that that is unchanging, and, and that is the the creator. So the idea that Somehow he twists that and turns it into happiness. My, oh, my, that, that, that friend of yours, you need to concentrate on him and help him find, <laughs> find yeah, I will. the truth. The truth. Because, because, no, he, I'm sorry, he will, he, he will die unfulfilled and afraid. He will die unfulfilled and afraid if he thinks happiness is, is the be-all of existence. Mm. Uh, Blaise Pascal was, uh, who did the God-shaped hole in the heart. Line. Yes, sorry, Blaise. Yes, that's gal. Yeah. Um, so listen, I love talking. I could talk about this all day. Like th these are the foundational truths that matter more than anything, and then everything is built on top of this stuff. Um, so when I yeah, ask you, th th this is sorry. I mean, let me just yeah. interrupt you there for a second. I do this myself. I mean, three hours of radio every single day, and I'm talking about the breaking news and what happened on Capitol Hill and this hearing and that hearing and what what President Trump put on Truth Social. But but uh, these are the big questions. And either you, you need to concentrate on them with regularity mm. uh, in a quiet room with a good book, with the Bible, or you need to have somebody, an interlocutor that you can discuss them with, your wife, your best friend, your spiritual director. But if you don't make time for these things, woe betide you, woe betide you. So, yes, mm. the, you know, it doesn't make for good talk radio necessarily for three hours on end. But this, this is the, this is pay dirt. Well, what was that last word you said? This is what? Pay dirt. This is when you hit pay dirt. This is you know when the rubber meets the road. This is yeah. this is the essence of 
our existence as sentient beings, concentrating on this stuff. You don't have to become a philosopher and lock yourself away in a monastery, but you've you got to get your azimuth, you've got to get your compass pointing in the right direction with some regularity. Yes. And then the news of the day will make more sense. Uh, yeah, and insanity right. of the day. Right. Yeah. Everything, everything else you talk about, you've got a kind of a, a prism, you've got a matrix that, that, that gives you, uh, you know, some clarity. Thank you for setting our, our compass straight. Uh, I'm grateful for these times. Let me, let, me, let me ask you this big one. And this, this is like, I was thinking of this yesterday, and I felt so foolish for even thinking about asking it. But um, if I'm wondering, then I'm, I'm, I'm sure someone else is too. Um, what was the Iran deal? I, I, think we need a, I think we need a refresher on what it was. And the reason I want to ask that is I think it's a good metaphor for this election of, of the choices we're making. And I'm, we're just so, I'm so confused by like the, the Houthis and like why, why did we take the Houthis off the terror list and Iran is killing Americans now. And we're like kind of okay with it, I guess, because it's not enough. I don't know. Like it's so bizarre. And it goes back to this, this what, what the Obama administration, how they viewed Iran and whatnot. And everyone talks about this Iran deal, but it's been a long time since like it happened. So what was the Iran deal that you were instrumental in getting rid of, by the way? Yeah, let me be flipped. The Iran deal was the thing me and Steve Bannon killed, uh, well, told the president to kill, and we we're very proud we did that. So, so you, you guys, your listeners may not believe this, but, but here's what the Iran deal really was. Uh, and it's frightening the um, juvenile logic behind this, this just apocalyptically dangerous deal. Uh, Obama thought he could have a legacy in, in foreign affairs that would be to stabilize the Middle East. And his idea was he saw the, 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 the resurgence, the, the recrudescence of Sunni extremism in the form of al-Qaeda and then ISIS, saw the rise of you know, Sunni influences uh, that were being done through proxies, Qatar you know, paying radicals, the Muslim Brotherhood, etc. And he said, oh, okay, if that side of the camp is rising in influence, how about we, we uh, balance it out? We stabilize the region by helping the other side. This is how puerile, how churlish, this is how you know that they're just absolute bloody dilettantes. They know nothing about strategy. And the decision was taken by Obama. Well, let's help the other side. Let's support the Sunnis. Who's the counterbalance? Uh, so let's help the Shiites. Who's the counterbalance to the Sunnis? It's the Shiites. What's the epicenter? of Shiism, it is of course Persia, it is of course Iran, let's help them out. And thus the Iran deal, the JCPOA Iran deal is born to the cost of billions of dollars with, with a complete bait and switch lie to the, to, to the world that we're going to give them money and they'll slow down the production of uh, their nuclear enriched uh, capabilities uh, for at least 10 years, which is of course garbage. They actually you know, got faster to fissile material thanks to the billions of dollars that was unfrozen and supplied to that regime. But the idea was, well, let's, let's help the other bad guys. So the first group of bad guys is a little bit balanced out, which is literally let's pour 
you know, high-grade, high-octane gasoline on an already out-of-control bonfire. That's what the Iran deal was, and that's why we killed it. Was all we asked out of Iran was to stop their nuclear program, or was there anything else? Any to other slow, to slow, slow <laughs> between bumpers, right? You know, le left and right bumpers, which, of course, they never did, because uh, guess what? They're a theocratic dictatorship, and they lie. I mean, it, 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 at, at some point you go, how stupid are you? When in the history of, 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 of modern politics has a dictatorship held itself to the tenets of any treaty? It didn't happen after 1938 in Munich and Chamberlain. It did when, when, when Nixon signed the uh, bioweapon toxin treaty in 1972 with the Soviet Union before the ink was dry on the international treaty that banned these weapons. The Soviet Union had already started building the largest bioweapons empire the world had ever seen uh, called Biopreparat, which included anthrax and everything else. You know, uh, North Korea, on and on. The idea that you do deals with these people in good faith, they act in good faith, you have to be a clinical cretin to believe that. Instead, you do what my boss does or did, and hopefully we'll do it again, God willing, it's, it's up to us. And he says, you know what, Pyongyang? My button's bigger than yours. If you do something, I'm turning you, little Kim, into a sheet of glass. You do, you do what the president did with the Taliban. Oh, Mohammed, I know where you live. Why are you telling me, Mr. President, where I live? Do the math, my friend. If any Americans are killed, you lose everything. What does he do with, 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 with Putin? He kills 300 of his mercenaries in Syria in a four-hour battle and sends a message, don't send your guys to very unstable parts of the world and try and destabilize them. What does he say to Tehran? He says, don't you dare. Don't you dare attack our forces or develop nuclear weapons. That's that's a real politic. That's good to go back to our original discussion. That is an understanding of the immutable nature of man. And mm -hmm. that's why, as I said in my Oxford speech, when we were in the White House, our friends felt safe and our enemies were afraid. I knew there was something I forgot to bring up last week when we were talking about that Oxford debate speech, and it was those mercenaries, the, the, the Wagner group. And yeah. I didn't know that. I didn't know that that happened, that Trump ordered the killing. We, when we told the president, he said, kill them, kill them all. Within four hours, JSOC, Delta Force, had turned 300 Russians into red mist. And let's just put that in context. That's during the, you know, the insanity of Russia, Russia, Russia collusion, right? Mm. We, we did something. Oh, sorry, President Trump did something no American leader has done since the October Revolution of 1970. Not even the great Ronald Reagan killed hundreds of Russians in the space of a couple of hours. And what was Putin's response? What did that diminutive little KGB cretin do? He wet his pants. He didn't even hold a press conference to bitch and moan because he was so afraid of President Trump. And that's why, Mike, for four years, there were no new wars. That's why we were safe. That's why the world was stable, not because we invaded other countries. This is what pisses me off the most. Three service members are dead in Jordan, of all places. I love Jordan. After Israel, our closest ally in the Middle East, three of our service men are dead. 
And, and, and why? Why? Because Joe Biden is the president. That's why. Because our enemies know nothing's happened. These people died six days ago. If we were in the White House, Iranian vessels would be on the bottom of the sea. People like Soleimani's deputy would be dead. But nothing has happened, and that's why the world is on fire, because President Trump isn't the commander-in-chief. Dr. Sebastian Gorka, where can people connect with you, sir? Uh, all the usual places except YouTube, because there are a bunch of fascists. So just put Seb Gorka or Sebastian Gorka in your search engine, Truth Social, Rumble, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, the webpage is sebgorka.com. And for, you know, unique content written by me and access to me, the Substack is just my whole name, sebastiangorka.substack.com. Thank you for setting us straight, sir. Appreciate it. God bless, Mike. really excited about tomorrow's show. So John Nolte is going to be here at 8 o'clock. Uh, also, uh, Adam Makos. Adam Makos is a fantastic history writer. Um, his book, Devotion. There's a movie out about it now. I haven't seen the movie because I don't want to ruin the book. Uh, but Devotion is one of my, the story of Devotion is one of the all-time great stories of America. And he has a new World War II book coming out. Uh, so you're going to love Adam Makos. That's tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Mike Slater, Breitbart News Daily. Spread the word.